This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. In this episode, I speak with Max Puglisi, formerly the Director of Developer Experience at IBM. We talk about what it's like to support thousands of engineers, including how to be intentional about culture and how to stay close to the needs of developers in order to help them. Thanks for coming on the show, Max. Uh, it's good to have you. Can you start with a quick intro about yourself and what your role is at IBM? Yeah, absolutely. And, and definitely thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, I suppose. So I'm responsible for developer experience at IBM. And my team and I are kind of focused on providing easy to use tools and practices for product engineers to ship high quality, secure software quickly and easily, right? Whatever that kind of means to their individual product team and their specific business context. Obviously, IBM's a pretty large enterprise, so there's a variety of things that we provide for the entire corporation, like source control, and then some things that that are more optimized for specific businesses, our business units. And so we are fortunate to kind of operationalize all that through um, a number of different verticals, including like internal developer advocacy. So that group helps to bridge the divide between kind of product development and then the broader individuals who are building and maintaining like the associated dev platform, individual developer tools, right? So your source controls, your incident response platforms, building deployment op- automation, and then some things that kind of make sense for our kind of tech landscape, specifically like app and data accelerators. Well, thanks for that. I'm curious to know more just about your personal background and you know how you got into this role. Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a product developer by trade, I suppose. I did that for five or so years and then started moving into like engineering management um, of, again, product development teams. And I kind of did that at increasing leadership roles until I kind of found myself managing, you know, let's say 10, 15 product development teams. And at that time, what I kind of recognized is that myself and, and my like leadership team were spending a ton of time looking at what our different teams were doing and where they were spending their time and noticing that you know a lot of them were doing very similar things that while they were very important from a developer perspective, weren't necessarily part of like the differentiated value that we needed their team to solve, right? And so like my go-to example of this is if we had 15 teams, we had 35 deployment pipeline. That made sense for those particular teams and what their use case was. But obviously, there's this opportunity to kind of pull that out, make it a shared service, and allow all our different teams to kind of benefit from that such that they can spend more time adding the differentiated value that we needed to. And we could make sure that they all got to benefit from, you know, like a leading edge um, deployment process. And so as I was doing this, I kind of recognized that there was an opportunity throughout our broader business unit to do something similar because people that I was talking to, my peers and such, all had very similar kind of observations. And so we put together kind of a pitch, if you will, to bring together um, some of these efforts and align them and organize around them so that we could start to provide more like robust end-to-end experience for our developers. That's a great story. And I'm curious, how long ago did that happen, that pitch? It probably started like two to three years ago. It's been a process. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell me more about the history of this team then. I mean, this team, were there other teams like this team before this yeah. team? Yeah. Sure. So, you know, IBM's obviously been developing software for a very long time. And there's definitely been a variety of like 
developer productivity teams in the various product units, and there still are today. But at a corporate level, until very recently, what we primarily did was provide like a suite of third-party tools for teams to adopt as it made sense to them. Uh, and so, you know, these tools were both in the general productivity-like category, like video conferencing and Slack, things like this, and also like the developer productivity piece. And the upside was we could consolidate the like procurement process. We can provide a really like cohesive and consistent adoption process for teams as they onboarded. But obviously the downside is that a disparate set of tools does not necessarily make like a frictionless um, end-to-end developer tool chain. And so teams were still spending a lot of time figuring that out and, and maintaining those tool integrations as part of their SDLC. And so we kind of like I was saying, you know, three or so years ago, we started this conversation around now that we've containerized so many workloads and we're now we've consolidated the number of environments we've deployed into through like, you know, kind of migrations to cloud. And similarly, I think culturally, there's a, an increased interest in transparency of like our engineering maturity, right? Quote, unquote. And so there's opportunity for DevX to expand from a set of developer tools and into a much more like opinionated end-to-end tool chain really emerge. And we made the decision to like really organize around providing that goal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned to me actually before this call, you had this statement, you said, you know, focusing on tools is fruitless if you don't have good engineering culture or process. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so... I think it's really easy to have a conversation about tools because it's like a least common denominator type thing, right? Every engineer, no matter where you work, needs some tools that helps them focus on what they're doing. But I think like equally as important, what we've done, at least organizationally, is we've spent a similar amount of time talking about what we want our like engineering culture to be, um, what's important, why is it important, and and trying to get buy-in from everyone within the organization. And then our role within that conversation is, is sure, we have an opinion, but we also then need to operationalize that culture and make it really easy for everybody to participate in it so that we can kind of take that step function change together and not necessarily just, you know, show up on a random Tuesday and say, hey, we're going to start breaking builds if we don't have 95% code coverage and look at that, you know. Now we have much more high quality software, which obviously is not the right way to do things. And so um, I think we have a much more like partnership and collaborative approach around we've collectively said that this is important to us as a culture. So these are the changes that we're making. And what's your feedback? And let's kind of iterate on that together. That makes a lot of sense. And it sounds almost simple. But you know, I know IBM, you have tens of thousands of engineers. So just putting together a quote unquote culture is... <laughs> probably that easy. Can you go into more specifics about like what is that culture? What what yeah. did you actually put together or into writing or yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and I mean um IBM is really big. And so, you know, I'll be um honest about being able to make inroads with different groups, you know, better and more than necessarily others. And we do have so much different software development. But I think what we started with was getting a group of engineers that feel really strongly about this together and start, you know, outside of your kind of like day-to-day work and start to talk about what what's important to us. And that conversation gravitated towards deployment frequency, transparency, quality, security. And those then became like the outcomes that we're trying to drive both um as like an engineering organization, but also then as a team, right? We start to like measure those things and start to look at them. And then I think that idea of let's come together and talk about this and figure out, you know, from an outcome perspective and not necessarily a tools perspective, what's important and what's not. 
And so how have you begun to operationalize that? Again, I think a lot of people listening to this don't have experience dealing with an org with tens of thousands of engineers. So you know, how, how do you do that? There's a couple of things that really work in our favor, right? One being that we're responsible for source code management. And for a variety of reasons, everybody's kind of gravitated to our offering, which is great because it gives, it gives us kind of that lowest common denominator that everybody uses or pins off of. And from there, we kind of have a product mindset as much as possible where we go out and we talk to both individual developers um, and spend time with them and understand kind of their friction points. And we do a lot of surveying such that we're able to build a backlog of capabilities where we can say, okay, you know, what's the effort versus um, outcome of these different things and where should we invest our time? And within that kind of um, framework, I, I suppose, and with making sure that as we build, we're super transparent about what we're building, why we're building it. We've been able to make progress down that, that backlog. Um, our starting place, just to get a little bit more specific, unsurprisingly, I'm sure, is CICD. Um, at the end of the day, especially from a product perspective, every product developer needs a mechanism to deploy their, their code into production. And that's been really effective for us. And, and we've got really good, I think, kind of like advocates out there in the product development space where they've said, hey, yeah, let's co-create this with you. We'll give you feedback or we'll open PRs against different things that we're seeing. And, and our team's very open to kind of uh, accepting those PRs or these different things so that there is like a little bit more of a co-creation model than just a... Um, you know, here's release one, take it or leave it. I'm really curious to dig in a little bit more into this survey practice. Again, just it's hard to grasp for me at the scale of tens of thousands of engineers. So, I mean, who are you sending this to? Are you sending it to everybody? And how often are you sending it? So surveying, we send to, I think we do it, do it every six months. And we send it to everybody that's kind of flagged in our like HR system as a developer or developer adjacent right, from like a job role perspective. And it ranges from like really tactical, what's your user sat on source code management to much more like cultural, do you think sharing code with your coworkers is important? Do you share code with your coworkers, which have very different responses? And so that allows us to kind of dig into some of these things a little bit more nuanced. Gotcha. So it sounds like you kind of combine some high level sentiment towards different things as well as just asking about what specific behaviors and practices them and their teams follow. Yeah, absolutely. And then we can kind of like break out personas and some of this stuff. So like one of the ones that we go to a lot is what's the new hire persona? How quickly is somebody hired and, and productive, which, you know, and there's and that is even really basic, like low hanging fruit. On your first day, are you able to see what repos your team merges most of its code into? Oftentimes the answer to that is no. And I think we've really placed, traditionally placed the burden on, you know, the product team to have really good documentation and these different things. But from our seat in like DevX, we have that information, we have the data. And I, I think it's, it's reasonable to expect us to be able to say, hey, you joined this organization. These are their top repos. This is where they deploy into stage and test and production. Um, just so you have like a starting context for some of this stuff. And you don't literally have to ask everybody everything on the first day. With the results of the survey, you know, what are maybe the top indicators or scores that you're kind of analyzing? I mean, is there some kind of top line overall happiness of developers or are you looking at things at a more narrow level? And, and I'm curious what within your group has been sort of like the most important KPIs? Surveying is interesting because 
to some extent, you also get responses of what people um, perceive to want sometimes, right? And so back like for my product development days, if you ask somebody if you want feature one, two, and three, they're going to say yes, yes, and yes. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll use it. So we're interested in like tool sentiment because kind of for obvious reasons, I think. Um, and, then, and then the cultural component's really interesting. But then one of the things that we're starting to try to do much better is connect tool sentiment to like outcomes and say, okay, so everybody likes our incident response platform. That's great. But is it actually like reducing our MTTR or some sort of, you know, other kind of resiliency type metric? And in some cases it is, and in some cases jury's still out. Um, and so that kind of connects sentiment to business results, I suppose. And then what are we measuring? So I think, I think it's a really good question. And we look at, so for our adopters, I think there's like externally, what is your deployment frequency? What's your kind of code quality? Can we actually like help you understand and digest that information? Can we make it more transparent into those kind of measures? But then on the internally, we're doing a lot of comparing to baselines and saying, okay, so you joined our platform from like the end-to-end fully integrated perspective. Are you deployed more than you were? Is your quality increased? Is your lead time increased? And and so far, I mean, we've been really pleasant. Um, we've been really encouraged by by the information that we've seen. That's awesome. I'm curious, before this call, you had kind of mentioned this thing about like developer experience and how it's getting a lot of attention, right? <laughs> what it means at IBM. I'm curious for you to just elaborate on that a bit. I mean, when did the term developer experience, for example, even arrive at IBM? And what's that journey been like? That's a good question. I, I think I was kind of anecdotally mentioned, I think, I think like from an industry perspective, it seems to be gaining a lot of traction, which is interesting and kind of fun. Uh, we, like I said, we really started talking about it, I think three, three or so years ago. It doesn't mean we weren't doing things for developers, but really thinking about it as a end-to-end, you know, kind of experience and things like that. Going back to like, from a persona standpoint, our vision, for lack of a better phrase, is when you start a new project, right? So you kind of initialize that repo and well, I, ideally you don't even take a next step. You just initialize the repo and it's all connected. But current state is you create a new repo and you connect to kind of like our pipeline through a config file, right? So you have a YAML in your, um, in your repo. And from there, you start to get all the benefits of what that means without necessarily as a product developer having to make any changes. So a really good example is over the last couple months, we integrated a number of scanning tools into, into our pipelines and all the teams that were ordered onto it got that for free, right? They didn't make any changes. And the other teams had to kind of take time out of their sprints and their normal cadences to add those things to their pipelines. And so when I think end to end, what do you get? That's kind of the way that I'm thinking about it. How do we remove that burden from product development teams, but they still get like a leading edge deployment platform? That makes sense. You talked earlier quite a bit about this concept of advocacy, right? And kind of operationalizing culture. What, practically speaking, are you guys trying to do at IBM in in that area? I think we're super fortunate to be able to have like an internal developer advocacy team. And what they kind of practically do is a variety of things around education, community building, but also like your traditional kind of coaching and advocacy and actually sitting with development teams um, and helping them board the tools, seeing where they're getting stuck. And kind of conversely, or, or as well, partnering with teams that are doing things really, really well, understanding what they're doing and figuring out how we can go back and scale that across the organization. 
And so I appreciate that that's, that's definitely something that we're, um, we're lucky to have. I think it's really, it's been really great because it's allowed us to build really um, robust personas out to really understand like the product developer constraints where they have pressures coming from product owners, coming from, you know, their own management teams and their own kind of timelines and deadlines. And so by having much more robust personas, we're able to build very like specific and well-targeted backlog items for us to go down while at the same time leaving our platform engineers a lot of time to actually build out and mature the platform. So yeah, it's it's a really fun like glue um, type team, I suppose, that's really interfacing between a lot of like really passionate engineers. Yeah, that sounds like a really awesome practice of kind of embedding advocates, if you would call them uh, across the organization. I'm curious, what do these engagements actually look like? How big is the advocacy org? And is this just like a dozen people randomly sprinkled across the organization? Or is there like a pretty substantial ratio in terms of the teams you're able to reach? So right now, it's probably even less than a dozen people. It's not huge. I think for now, that makes sense. DevX is is a scale function, right? We got to be able to scale what we're doing. And so the smaller team, I think, is intentional in that respect. And I, I think the other piece that's worth mentioning is a lot of what we do assumes that these teams have space in their like kind of business process, right? We can't kind of swoop into some team with a, a deliverable in a month and say, whoa, 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 we're going to completely change all your development practices. And so there's always this like nice trade-off of, you know, some team has a little bit of bandwidth. So we're able to deploy a coach for a period of time to kind of engage with them for maybe a month or two, understand some of what they're doing. But I think taking a few steps back, by having a really um, informed view on some of these metrics and measures, we're able to then intentionally engage with people who are kind of outperforming, understand why they're outperforming and understanding whether or not that's something that we can incorporate and scale or other folks that you know are, are struggling a little bit and we can understand kind of why that is and understand if that's something that we need to make a tooling change for or we need to kind of engage in another kind of way. One of the things that we've really noticed is, is engineers kind of, they want to be the best that they can, right? And they often have a lot of constraints pressed upon them. And so some of what we get to do is kind of understand what some of those constraints are and see if we can help them navigate that, maybe free up a little bit of bandwidth so that they can, you know, pay down some technical debt or, or what have you. So it sounds like kind of more early on in the history of your role, you were very focused on tooling. And with this advocacy program, it's almost like you're coaching, right, local teams on the constraints and, and local challenges. So I'm curious how your view maybe has evolved. Like when you look at the this problem of developer experience as a whole, what's the split of responsibilities or cause in terms of friction between kind of global tooling type things versus local team tooling or processes or just culture? I don't know that I can give you a, a real good, an informed proportion that doesn't feel like a lot of false precision. I would say that it's probably pretty equal. One of the trends that I do think that we start to see is teams that have kind of like cultural challenges or constraints, whether that's, again, you know, from a business perspective or, or otherwise, they tend to also have like tooling type challenges as well. And so they're definitely pretty highly correlated between one another. That's a great observation. And I think in our experience, we see that pretty similarly as far as you know, typically cultural problems are almost like a leading indicator of a bunch of other problems, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You 
mentioned that you use a set of indicators to kind of identify teams that are outperforming or teams that may be struggling in order to go kind of choose who to go engage with in terms of advocacy. Like what are the top indicators you're looking at to make those decisions? It's a good question because obviously the fun part about engineering productivity is there's no lack of indicators to measure. We're pretty focused on what's probably like the normal set, I would say, deployment frequency, lead time, kind of like quality of deployment, as well as security, essentially from a statement of like open source vulnerabilities or other you know vulnerabilities and, and time to close some of those things. I don't think that's the set that we'll always use uh, in perpetuity, but for now, it seems to give us a pretty good indication of how things are going to at least like start that conversation and start to dig into what, what's actually going on. When we talk to engineering leaders, we kind of hear mixed reviews. I mean, like you mentioned, that is a pretty common set of metrics, right? The, the, the four key metrics from the book Accelerate. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, what have, have you run into sort of limitations with them or, you know, what are the oh, shortcomings sure. of, of those metrics in your experience? So I will say I'm a fan of the book. I think it's super fair. I do think that business context is so important. And I think some of those those measures um, need to balance that, right? So if you're if you're in a highly re- regulated application or have some other kind of like constraint, daily deployments might not be reasonable for you. And so you start to look at, well, what's your frequency deployment versus like what your target is? And let's have a conversation about that if you're lagging your target. Um, and again, so maybe daily deployments isn't reasonable, but if you're hoping to deploy once a week and you're not able to do that, like let's have a conversation about it. So I, I think I think it's a good start. You just can't blindly follow it, right? You have to kind of add that layer of business context on top. That's probably what I hear the most when I talk to engineers as well, right? Like I, I get it. The book's great. That's not the world I live in though. Yeah, I have a similar experience. When I worked at GitHub, we tried to roll out these metrics. And I was also a part of a product team at the time. And of course, for example, lead time, right? Like time to kind of deploy or ship. And we were shipping on-prem software. So of course, our lead time was weeks. And we were kind of helpless as far as you know what to do with that metric. Like It didn't even really seem to apply to us. Yeah. I think that's a really similar sentiment. One of the things that we talked to team about is like, well, we want to look at your trends, right? Is your frequency constant or is it starting to trend down? And it's starting to trend down. You know, why is that? Or or same thing with quality and lead time. And so I'm a big fan of trends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like everyone in engineering, we we just love data, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So maybe getting back to these four key metrics, do you have any tips for leaders who are probably having that same conversation that you've had to had where developers are like, yeah, you know, we'd like the book, but these metrics don't, it's not really our, our world. Like how have you approached that in conversations or with teams when you're engaging with them? Right. So going back to, we really try and engage with an open mind and understand the concept content that they're working, the context that they're working for. I think engineers kind of can collectively agree that, or I don't think it's a crazy statement to say, most engineers would say code that's in like source control, but not deployed is not necessarily doing anybody any good, right? That doesn't seem like a surprising take. And so I think you can have an open and transparent conversation about like, okay, I understand that you have some constraints, but like, what is your ideal? What actually makes sense to you? And then when we start to measure these things in the tool, can we compare to that as a target or a goal as opposed to, you know, blindly assuming that everybody can deploy every day? And that's where we've had 
a lot of um, success because it forces the conversation to get beyond, oh no, that just adamantly doesn't work for us. And this is a silly conversation into, okay, well, let's, if you're going to be reasonable about it, then I have to give you a thoughtful response. And, and in that response, there's specificity and specificities, things that you can then plan around and you can take action on. And specificity is really interesting. I'm curious, do you look at any other indicators, for example, like like kind of employee satisfaction or engagement type metrics, particularly around this advocacy initiative? Like, do you use those types of signals to figure out who to reach out to? We're starting to broaden our set uh, of things, absolutely. Um, I think that's really interesting. And to an extent, also, um, how much like communication between team members there are, especially in a like increasingly remote world. That's something that we can can understand a little bit more on and our teams that talk more, that develop more out in the open, uh, so to speak, that are accepting PRs from groups that aren't necessarily within their direct team. Are they deploying more or less frequently? You're not necessarily just deploying more or less frequently, but are they releasing more or less, you know, more frequently than others? And, and so I think there's going back to kind of that community concept. Um, one of the things that we're really trying to understand is teams that are engaging more in the community so they have like a higher throughput, for lack of a better phrase, um, than not. And I'm curious, just since we were talking about metrics, when you say throughput, are you looking at a metric? Or? No, I would say like net progress or something like that. Like what's the umbrella term? Are they delivering more frequently, I suppose? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, pivoting a little bit earlier, you just mentioned, you know, it's kind of interesting that the term developer experience has kind of started trending up in the industry. Why do you think that is? What's your view on that? Yeah, I think there's like two things that, that stand out to me. The first being, I don't know if it's like consolidation or ability to like programmatically manage, but like the number of artifacts and deployment environments are definitely being consolidated, right? There's increasing like amount of product teams that are deploying what's effectively the same thing from an infrastructure management perspective, right? They're deploying some sort of container. And so that commonality allows the ability to provide that as a shared service to actually be a tractable problem that can be solved. And so when you combine that with, I think, what's kind of like an increasing specialization in engineers, right? You're not going to hire as an organization, an ML engineer making go do front-end development. That's a different skill set. That's a different specialization. Instead, you want your ML engineer to spend as much time as possible doing ML things. That's what's interesting to them. It's what's core to your business. And so what you don't want them to do is kind of continually build a CICD platform. And so as you like bring those two things together, you're going to start moving those components that can be a shared service um, into a shared service and allow your engineers that ability to do what's actually like super interesting to them. And then I think like in that same vein, you know, there's this inevitable maturation of like software engineering or product development that as we get further and further, um, these pieces start to get commoditized. Things that are commoditized can move into shared services. And, and then we can kind of continue to build the things that are um, super differentiated, right? So like a really good example um, is like networking, right? So as a product engineer, I did zero networking. Uh, that's fully been a shared service for years and years now. And I think we're going to just start seeing that more and more. We're just currently in like this product dev cycle of something similar. That makes sense. And so earlier we were talking a lot about measurement and then now we kind of touched on developer experience and this whole concept and, and movement. Kind of bring those two things together. How does your group articulate the value and impact of your work to the or rest of the organization? Yeah, I, 
I think um I think there's two things, right? So we're we're lucky in that kind of going back to this culture statement, uh our organization is bought into this being important and this is being valuable. And so in doing so, it means that we can show engineering productivity gains kind of in isolation and say, hey, if you join our platform, whatever that means to you, um, something is going to change for the better, the better. And so we spent a lot of time with teams baselining how their world was and then showing percent improvements on you know different aspects as it makes sense. And, and I think we've been really fortunate for those measures, right? Like kind of we were talking about like an increased lead time um, to actually stand on their own because everybody appreciates their importance. Uh, though taking that like a step further, we've also had really good success showing a fairly linear linear relationship between some things and actual like more traditional business um, measures. And so if we're deploying more frequently, uh, we can show that those kind of new product features are are somehow being represented then in end user sentiment scores positively and draw some sort of correlation between those two numbers. Uh, obviously, uh, there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of challenge in that. No, nothing's as linear as we want to, but uh, that's we've had we've had some very good success in in deployments in that respect, as well as some of the software quality things and shown, you know, uh, uh, applications that have a higher software quality have much higher sentiment scores. They don't have that dip when, you know, defect goes out or, or the, the service goes down. Um, and in, in doing so, we have a much more kind of consistent uh, sentiment score from an end user perspective. And that's been that's been really fun to, to show those connections. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm curious, with such a large org that you're, you know, dealing with, uh, where do you look outward? Like what other people you follow or specific books or blogs? Like how, how are you staying attuned outside of IBM? Um, yeah, I, so I, we talked about the Accelerate book, which I think is a really good starting place uh, for most of this stuff. And, and I think I spent a decent amount on like dev Twitter, I suppose. Um, I, I, there's, there's a couple sub stacks on like engineering culture and things that I follow as well. Um, and and try and keep an understanding on uh, kind of the industry uh, through those. It's really interesting as some people, um, I think like pro- programmatic engineers are really interesting, like Substack, that that's a lot of people follow. Um, and so I follow that as well. Yeah, we're we're big fans of uh, Gergay and his, his newsletter. Yeah, um, well, I really enjoyed this conversation today, Max. Uh, sure. Thanks so much for coming on the show and it'd be great to chat again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.